Well, I'm finally coming to the end of the season. And the part of me that has a lot of different projects and things going on, um, that part of me is excited uh, about that. But the part of me that has really enjoyed the engagement of this project and this podcast, um, I'm actually a little disappointed that our time is coming to a close. But this particular episode is very, very important to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, I promised that I would interview people from different perspectives, different professional uh, uh, backgrounds, and and try to really expand the conversation and the thinking around faith and feelings. But today I get to share with you the perspective of a pastor. Now, full disclosure, I I had the opportunity in youth ministry to to share the pulpit with this young man. And I call him that. Uh, I think we're around the same age, but I call him that because my brother has always been been short and, and, and always been very uh, soft spoken. But, but to his own admission, that's until you make him mad. And I don't think I've ever uh, had that pleasure. So. I have watched him grow and mature, and I have watched his ministry grow and mature. And from leaving, from 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 becoming a a a preacher in one of the larger churches in uh, the city of Chicago, to to watch him evolve into pastoral work. To, to to hear that he was moving away to go and, and, and plant a church, to see him come back to Chicago and and take on a another church here. And most importantly for me, to see him take on the ministry of mental health in this time. It has been amazing to watch and it gives me great joy to share it with you now, Reverend, almost Dr. Watson Jones is my guest. I am Brandon T. Bailey, and this is Controversy. All right, my brother Watson Jones. I'm sorry, Reverend. That's funny. Almost Reverend Doctor. I, listen, let me let me throw that out there. So so all the TS Strong community needs to understand because because we both were working on a doctorate trying to finish this thing. So almost Reverend Doctor Watson I'll almost. Jones. I'll take the almost. Yes, yes. I know it. Ain't I've the earned the almost. Yeah, I've earned the almost. It's not like I made it to it. I got Amen the almost. to that. Hey, listen, yeah. I, I, hallelujah. Well, <laughs> brother, I am so grateful that you are taking the time to come and talk to the TS Strong community. I want to start the interview with a mindset check. So, in my network marketing days, I was taught to surround yourself with the thinking that outthinks you. 
So I want to expose my listeners to the way that you think, and uh, they can choose themselves. So are you ready for a few warm-up questions, bro? Let's go. All right, man. So first of all, what motivates you, Doc? (sighs) A few things. I think my kids, my family, they motivate me um, because... Um, the thought of not being able to feed my kids Amen. is a very scary thought Amen. and not being able to uh, provide is a very scary thought. Um, fear of failure also motivates me um, because I tend to be one who tries to do things right and, and, and to do things well. So, you know, I, pro- I probably could have given a sillier answer, but those are the two <laughs> things that jumped up. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure there are th- there will be time for that. <laughs> yes, yes. Those are the two things that jumped up. I feel failure. Yeah. Listen, a lot of us do, and some of us don't want to talk about it. So, a- amen so for being real. Um, do you have fears, and if so, how do you manage them? Yes, I do have fears. You know, sometimes I feel like I might still be afraid of the dark sometimes. Okay. Uh, you know, it's that's so bizarre. I mean, I am 37. Um, and, and so one way I manage it, to be honest, I sleep with a sleep mask. <laughs> I, I wear, I make my eyes. Open your eyes, bro. Yes. To make it darker. Go, go figure, go figure. <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Let you know what else? Let me turn my judgment me? down real quick. <laughs> this, this is going to make you judge me. The, those Southern flying cockroaches. Ooh, that's okay though. I was those... in Miami dealing with those. Those are not that's not okay (laughs) those scared and they lived in philadelphia too so those kind of those like that can make me almost lose my mind yeah hallelujah (laughs) watson uh mindfulness is a buzzword right now uh right what does it mean to you and how do you use it if at all so part of mindfulness for me is like being present and and so sometimes I feel like when I'm when I'm anxious, especially during this pandemic, when I felt anxious uh, or like, you know, I think of pressing deadlines, like I have a, a, a row of books sitting in front of me that need to be touched at some point Amen. for school. And I see them and mindfulness helps me to realize the moment like, yes, those things need to be done and they're going to get done. But, you know, you have kids to go play with. You, you have the morning to look forward to if the Lord grants it to you. Um, and it kind of slows me down and helps me realize what's real. And and even though things are pressing, it shows me they're not that pressing. That's good, man. And, and we're going to get into that a little bit more later. But I think that sets a really good foundation for the conversation later. Um, Bishop, Pastor Watson, tell me a story about failure and how you overcame it. Yes. So I think one failure I think I felt was, you know, I planted a church and it was such a great experience. It was a stretching experience. It was a learning experience. It was, you know, it's it's where I would say I cut my teeth at pastoring. And it's where I learned a lot about connecting to people and preaching and things like that. Um, but I feel, I think, you know, I left, I felt like the Lord was calling me back out of Chicago, back out to Chicago from Philadelphia. And I think the notion or the idea of leaving a church that I planted before I had been there for five years Mm. felt like failure to me. And, um, and I think I, I doubt, I felt, I felt serious guilt for that. Like, you know, like I failed this and I think the way that I got through it 
a few things. I, I did go to counseling, you know, before as I was preparing to leave. And, and a counselor really did help me walk through that. But then also to Reverend Meeks actually asked me a question about it. Like, how do I make sense of it, of my experience planting a church now that I'm pastoring back in Chicago? And I said, I don't know, but the church still exists. It's not, it's not a dead church. It's still alive. It's still touching people. It's still serving the community. It's still doing some things. And so while it may not have in my head been all that I thought it would be, it in one sense probably is better than what I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't play out in the way that I thought it would. Yeah. And, um, and so I think s some of it is just seeing that there, you know, I still hear from some of my previous congregants who reach out to me from time to time. I still know things about their lives and I count that a high honor. Um, and, uh, and that helps me sometimes to know that, that my work was not in vain. Yeah. Man, I I was a part of a church plant and I you know, I don't know what people out there think, but it it's hard. hard so work. I I really feel for pastors who do it because I you know, I was just I I was just a music minister. <laughs> but <laughs> but I was serving alongside the pastor from from the ground up and it's it's difficult work you know what I mean and, and I think like you said that it's still there right you were planting a seed and that seed is still growing and even though you're yeah. not there the work that you did is still you know it's still a part of 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 their history and and their process and that's that's a big deal absolutely yeah absolutely. that's a big deal absolutely all right. Well, listen, Watson, I hope the listeners have a better idea of how you think. Um, I'm sure folks are starting to kind of take sides, whether or not they understand the mind and thought process of a of a pastor and a minister. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much you have gotten the chance to consume the show, but we've had, you know, mental health professionals, we've had educators, we've had a lot of different, you know, positions there, but I'm so excited to talk to a pastor, someone with a very, very different perspective on this topic. So I can't wait to warm up now to some of the more controversial stuff. So our next segment is about faith, and this is going to be yeah. the easy part for you. I talk a lot about my journey and the controversy that it has caused. Um, but I want the TS Strong community to understand your perspective. So you ready to get into faith a little bit? Let's go. All right, my brother. So for, first and foremost, man, what tell, tell the listeners what your spiritual background is and how faith has impacted who you are today. Yes, I am a Christian. Uh, met the Lord in 2000, I'm sorry, 1999 and uh, a believer in Christ Jesus. And that, that has shaped me profoundly. I mean, you know, in terms of um, if, if I felt like in one sense, it charted the course of what I would do. I, I wouldn't say what I do as a career, but you know, people would consider it that way. Um, I'm certain there were probably other things I could have done, but for me, I chose to give myself to, to ministry and that has rewards. It has, you know, punches as well. It has, good difficulty that's great things Absolutely. Uh, but faith has led me to say you know i believe that our world needs hope and and my faith has helped me to sort of try to be somebody who brings hope in the world and and i believe it's through christ jesus and in that you know it, it helps me to i would say maintain solid standing even in 
in tumultuous times like this where some people have have felt like giving up um i'm certain i probably felt it too but probably kept on moving but yeah. um <laughs> i think my faith has has always seen me as one to be able to to really speak into the world and what's happening and and to give a biblical perspective on it so so as a pastor, this is this is probably a harder question, right? Has there ever been a time in life where you have questioned and or lost your faith? Um, I talk about, I mean, so for me, I talk a lot about the trauma and the and the things that I experienced in life quietly, of course. But mm -hmm. the hardest thing for me was was the period where I started to question, right? Mm -hmm. The the period where all of the faith and all the spirituality that I had built up for all of my life started to, you know, get a little weak. So was there ever a time, man, where you started to question any of that, that spiritual foundation? And if so, you know, what happened? How'd you overcome that? Absolutely. I think faith is not genuine if it cannot be tested. And, and there is a part of it where you don't have, you don't grow without being able to probe and and understand the questions um you know i think about apologists people who argue for the faith oftentimes these are people who dealt with great doubt and and they weren't always certain but they dealt with great doubt and and having to search for answers helped them so yes there have been times where i've absolutely struggled with you know my faith i i, I think one in particular i think is when i found out that my daughter had autism and and she was diagnosed autistic in her third year and you know and soon after because she's a woman or she's a girl actually she's not a woman yet but she's a girl um it's rare for girls to be named autistic it's it's more common for boys and so because of that they had to test her for rett syndrome to make sure that she didn't have rets and that that when they told me that they said do not look it up because it's debilitating and it's it's going to freak you out and uh, I didn't look it up, but the thought of it. So I don't just know that how season, you didn't. Because <laughs> I didn't obedient. want to. I was just like, I, I, if, it, if it's bad. And lady, the lady reassured me. She says, I'm looking at your daughter. I can see that she does not have it, but we have to test it. Yeah. That was a very dark period, I think, because nothing, you know, in my head, I'm out here in Philadelphia. I'm planting. I'm not in Philly anymore, but I was in Philly planting a church. And so there was a part of it where I felt like, um, God, I've done this for you, and this is how you repay me. And and even praying, you know, that the Lord would quote unquote heal my child, and uh, and all of those things. And I didn't. I mean, it really. Str I struggled with prayer after that in terms of like, how do you pray? What do you pray for? Um, and how do you believe? I, but I think what helped me through it was a few things. One. I believe that everything you go through, you know, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for them who love the Lord called according to his purpose. Following after that, that you know, people often talk about that. And it's like, you know, they, it's a shouting thing. And it kind of is. But the larger argument Paul is making is Jesus has this grand picture of what he wants us to look like. And in order for us to get us to that point, he has to, quote unquote, sanctify us. And so then everything we go through does work together because it does. It may not feel good, but it helps us in the long term to look more like Christ one day. Yeah. And I think seeing how 
grappling with her diagnosis revealed my selfishness, revealed my utter lack of patience, Ooh, utter lack preacher. of patience, and my uh, unkindness at times. I think that her in my life, you know, I, I don't think it was her that needed to be healed. It's probably me. And so that helped me tremendously. I think just coming through that and then even seeing even um, steps of grace, you know, where the Lord didn't change that. And because the truth is, there's nothing in the scriptures that promise that he does on this side. Number right. one, right, it's, right. it's misreading some passages that make us say that. But but the scriptures in totality doesn't teach that. And so, you know, there is a part of it where God has to give us strength to grapple with the things we can't change. That's that that's the sobriety prayer yeah. to be able to accept the things I cannot change. And just seeing how the Lord has carried me there. And he's, t you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a flawed individual and deeply in need of grace, but how he's used her to chip away at elements of my heart. I think that that's one thing. And I think coming from it, you know, it raised a lot of questions, but it solidified a lot of things because when I look back, even on the period and even following that period, God did a lot of things in my life, miraculous things, you know, just except not that one. And it came to the point and the place where I said, I honestly wouldn't want her to change because I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know her as she is now. And, and as she is, she's a gift and wow. she doesn't need to change. The world needs to change and bend to her, not her to us. And so I think that that's a period that probably comes the quickest to mind. You know, I, th I think in my life, I've had several places where I've had doubts or periods where, you know, I felt functionally agnostic, though I still believed in God. Mm. Um, that's not agnostic, but functionally, functionally like agnostic, functionally. See, I'm dealing with uh, a preacher now. We <laughs> I love it. I hear you, yeah. man. I hear you. But the, the, the doubts tend to show up in God's no, yeah. you know, when the Lord does not answer a prayer the way you wanted him to, or when he does not change things that you wanted him to change. And, and when he does not respond to us throwing the verses up that we thought would move him, because yeah. the truth is, there's nothing in the Bible that says those verses move him. Right. That's just stuff we were taught. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to argue for a faith that is not dynamic, that does not, that God doesn't do stuff. But God is a person and he has a will far beyond me, far greater than me. And he knows there are things that are not my business that are his and I have to just, I, I can either not live in that. I can either live in, in, in I can either live in this, it, I need to know and stay there, or I can accept that I don't know and that he's good and that he has me and he'll give me what I need to make it. Bro. So first of all, I didn't, I didn't know about your daughter, but I'm going to tell you, I, my team and I have been talking about what season two of controversy might look like. And, and we've been exploring this idea of parenting kids with autism. So I literally was just talking about in the last episode that I uh, released and Obviously, it, it, it may be a little bit later before this episode is released, but I was just talking about how that experience impacted me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and like you, that was definitely a, a, a time where you look to God and go, ah, 
I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And and it, you know, all of the things you talked about, like just coming to that point where it's like, yeah, the baby don't need to change. We do, right? Our perspective changes and mm-hmm. how we parent and and what we expect from them. And I talked about grieving to the old idea of right. who our child would be, right? right? The one right. that we create. Right. Not not the one that God, you know, this right. the, the idea the that we, we create. Right. The next Michelle right. Obama, the next yes. Barack, you yes. know, all of those. All things. of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's big, man. How how's your daughter now? She is gonna be ten uh this tomorrow. Today is thirteen. Hallelujah. She'll be ten in a few hours. <laughs> Happy early birthday. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) And that's that's my baby, man. I think it, you know, and I've really, and I don't say that because that's what the parents was. That is my girl. And I mean, I love my boys to death. I love my boys. And they're my boys. And I'm proud, utterly proud of them. Um, But my daughter is also my girl. She's my only child, my only daughter, first child. And you know her idiosyncrasies i don't want to call them that but her her little first child too oh yeah Bruh, i didn't know we had all of this in common see see look at, that. <laughs> look at that her little things that she does are like you know kelly and i love to laugh at them um behind you know her closed doors like yeah absolutely know, random scripts that she says or you know but they're, they're to me you know they would make her I was at the. I'll sh- I'll say this and I'll shut up. I was at a. Um, I was going to pick up my suit from the store, and I was in the dressing room getting dressed, and my father was sitting in the room with my kids, and I could hear my daughter just scripting like no one, like it's going out of style, and she's laughing at the stuff she's saying, like it don't make any sense to anyone but her, and she's what? like really thrilled, and she doesn't care that people are in the room looking, and I don't either, oh, and I and I was so sitting true. there putting on my belt like somebody better say something because i'm wanting to cuss someone out today and they gonna get these hands they say something and and i mean like and i'm just listening to her laughing and saying stuff totally out of context that make no sense and she is in heaven yes but that's that's my baby man and I, i i love that Oh man, yeah. I'm listen. I'm just warning you now. If we decide to go that route, I'm totally gonna invite you back because Absolutely. I want to dig more into that part of your story. But you probably also attempt, want to talk to Kelly on that too because she, well, <laughs> she she got some things to say on that one. <laughs> right. Well, in, in an attempt to stay focused on what I invited you here for, um, yes. <laughs> the Bible talks about prayer and meditation. Um, right. But I'm not sure that the modern church does a really good job of distinguishing between the two. So you being a well-informed, studious pastor that you are, how would you compare and contrast these two very valuable but very, very different practices in the spiritual walk? Yeah, you know, immediately my mind goes to Richard Foster or David Foster, I think it is, Celebration of Disciplines. And then I started thinking about Tertullian, the African church father who— was in was in Egypt and or Carthage I think it was but Tertullian um was was of the was of the ilk of the monastics he was a monastic Christian and you know had a lot of those in North Africa and and that's real contemplative uh sort of ascetic almost you know just kind of like we just kind of out here in nature I think and I'm I don't mean to say that like meditation is weird because immediately what went to mind is is how the church 
has had streams that have that have done those where you have like for example the Tizé community in, in France that still does some element of meditation focusing on the scriptures meditating on certain songs and things like that I think in two ways you know I I, I think that they're beneficial in a lot of ways one prayer is talking to God it is it is it is expressing to God a number of things. It is thanking him, praising him. It is asking him for stuff. And that's generally where people stop. But it is also telling God the real. It is lamenting. It is it is telling him, it is complaining to him, Amen. which he wants to hear it. It is sharing the depths of our souls. And that doesn't have a script. Um, but then meditation, I, I think that meditation you know, obviously there are Eastern religions that do it and their their goal and objective is to empty their minds. I think Christian meditation is filling your mind. And while I feel like in one sense, I think they kind of run in tandem because in one sense you're talking to God, but God wants to speak back. And I do think that it's in meditation that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Now he speaks in many ways. I think he speaks primarily from the scriptures um, and, and anything he's going to say in a meditative moment is going to be consistent with that. But he also can speak to a friend, he can speak to a sermon, he can speak to a song. But when you actually force yourself to sit down in a world that is so hurried like ours and in a hurried world, we learn to hush the noise and mm. to sit still and quiet and that's to a... think about God. Now that's a hard thing because we don't have an image in which to contemplate. All we have are character traits that that pop out to us from the word we have jesus who is the very uh image of god the invisible god we don't even know what he looks like right so all we can <laughs> focus it's not that picture that they it's see it's not a picture you know <laughs> despite the fact that some try to draw the picture of jesus right. looking like he came up out of norway somewhere Ooh, with the uh, with the long straight with yeah, the long stringy hair i believe it alone eyes. uh but <laughs> We don't have it, but we do have elements of, we have his word. And so I think in meditation, sometimes it is thinking intently on God's word. It is rehearsing it and reciting it, not for necessarily memory's sake, but that's where the Bible starts to speak to us. And sometimes in meditation, we, we come to a point where the Lord starts to show us emotions we feel where the Holy Spirit in his own way starts to probe and ask questions of why when we express anger or when we express fear and, and we start to, we really start to unearth some deep things in those moments um, when we do it. And, and, but it, it's, I think it's, it is a discipline. It is a discipline of, of carving time. It's one I wish I said I practice as much. I think, I think there are ways in which I do practice it but not as much as I think I did intentionally years ago. Yeah. Um, and I think mostly because I'm so hurried. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that, <laughs> that hurried, it's a real, it's a real thing. And you know what, man, like I love the connection, especially as a pastor, because when I hear be still and know that I am God, right. From, from, from the place I'm at now, I see that as a meditative moment, right? right? Back then, I thought that was, oh, you know, pray. And, but see, like you talked about praying for me, is just like, is it you talking yes. at some point you got to hush up. 
You do. You do. <laughs> and hear and receive and 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 that's how I see it. I think I think that's big, right? I, I love the the way you were able to describe that. Um, all right, so look, folks, uh Watson, Reverend Bishop, Elder, Doctor, uh, he has He's <laughs> he's already shared some great insights, but now I want to switch gears a little bit. All right, so we've talked about faith, but now I want to talk about feelings. Now, this is often much harder to talk about. Yes. So this is where Brene Brown's teaching on vulnerability really does come in handy. And although um, this can be a bit messy, I think it's really, really important for people, especially people of faith, to to hear different perspectives, especially a pastoral perspective on this topic. So are you ready to get into feelings a little bit? Okay. Yes. That's a scary place, but let's go. I Listen, ain't it though? <laughs> That's all right. I know, I know you are well equipped to take us there. Um, so here's my first question, because one of the reasons I invited you on, and I, I mentioned this in pre-show, but I want to say it publicly to my audience. One of the reasons I invited my brother, uh, uh, Reverend Watson Jones on is because I watched him talk publicly and from his pulpit about the importance of mental health, right? Especially from a position of faith. And I think that, that it, there, there needs to be more people doing that. So my question to you, Watson, is what does mental health mean and why should a larger audience of people ultimately care about the subject? So we are made up of five parts and you know and that's that's theory but i think it's there's some reason to it some truth to it we are spiritual we are emotional we are intellectual we are social and we are physical and 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 with the intellectual i don't necessarily mean genius or iq i mean mental mental we think we have a mind and i think when any of those things are off it will impact other elements of our lives so for right. example if you don't get enough sleep which i found that to be true of myself if we don't get enough sleep eventually spiritually you're going to suffer because you're tired mentally you're really going to suffer because depression the studies show us this, that depression can lurk up when you're, when you're not rested. Um, so the reason why I think people need to care about this, especially black folks and people of faith. I, I remember someone once said that there is no such thing as mental illness or mental health because the mind is not an organ. And they were talking metaphysically because they were saying that the mind is something that cannot be touched. It's not tangible. The brain is something that can be touched, but your mind exists in your brain. It's a bunch of chemicals and muscles and nerves that do a lot of movement, that do a lot of things that make you feel and think a lot of things that is the seat of your mind. Now, I don't mean to sum our existence up to some biological explanation of the brain. I think we're much more than that. But your feelings are something that God made. And, and I think one of the things that the scriptures teach is that we are tainted by sin. And I'm not talking about action right now. I'm talking about condition, which means that things that should work don't work the way they were intended to work. And so it is possible then for life to happen as it does for it to hit you, knock you down and take the air out your lungs and it impacts how you think. It's right. trauma. It impacts how you think because it creates feeling. And you can be walking around and be very functional and still suffer from 
a mental issue and I, and you got to destigmatize that you could be depressed very anxious we don't even have to go down the road of american psycho and talk about schizophrenia Mm-hmm. But let's just talk about what we see often, trauma, anxiety, depression. And these things pervade and they attack us all. At some points in life, they hit us. And there are some of us who battle with it ongoing. Um, and these things shape how we talk to, deal with people and everything. It shapes how it shapes our output and our outview, our outlook on life. And if you don't give attention to these things, you won't understand why all of a sudden the thought of killing yourself just came out of nowhere. Right. Right. You don't under, you won't understand why, uh, why it's difficult for you to trust people or why instead of reacting to something in a way of kindness, you react with tough words and you cut off cold. That's dysfunction. We blame all of that on the devil, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we grow up in we, we grown up in a place where we're like, oh, well, that's just the enemy. Right. It could be a little bit more compli- it could be a complicated whole lot more than, than that. that. Absolutely. <laughs> it can be a whole lot more complicated. And I and I think that if I understand Genesis 3, right, which talks about the fall and the curse that was placed on everything, and the thing that Paul referenced again in Romans 8, that all the creation yearns for Jesus to come back essentially, because it's all subject to the curse, then it then I can have space to understand then that my brain, which was made by God, my mind can, can at some times not work the way it should, or, or perhaps it is working the way it should, and I have no control over it. I have space to understand that, but your mind is very real and everyone around you, oftentimes people who be struggling sometimes don't realize this, but everyone around you can tell it, mm-hmm. even if you don't, because you're used to living with that. Mm-hmm. And so I think more people, especially in the church, you know, we over spiritualize it. We call these things demons. Then again, that's not in the Bible. There is no demon named depression. We call these things demons. Come fallen on, angels come on pastor and please not. help the people and you see yes. depression you, and, you know you gotta understand too you know biblical writers were not scientists so they they didn't name it depression or anxiety they didn't name those things because they weren't people who studied it but you see it very plainly in the text it's very there it's very much there you see it in isaiah and elijah who wants to kill himself you see it in jeremiah who says Man, curse the day I was born and curse the people who brought me here. You see it in Job. Curse the day I was born. You see it when in Lamentations, as Jeremiah is lamenting this burnt down city that he grew up in. You see it in Jesus's words when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, agonizing in prayer. Take this bitter cup. That's trauma. <laughs> yes. To the point where he bleeds tears and science has shown that it is possible to be so darn traumatized that you can bleed tears. So, you you know, so that's agony, anxiety, and Jesus's words to the, the people in Matthew who he wasn't writing to nobody's church. He wasn't saying that. Matthew writes this, shares this, Luke tells us as well, but Jesus is saying this to a bunch of poor people who don't have land, who don't know where food's going to come from, and they're struggling. And he says, don't be anxious for anything because they're anxious. And he doesn't curse them, say you lack a faith person. Mm. He acknowledges what it is. These are human feelings that, that, that either tell us something's wrong 
or kicks us into drive to, to figure the problem out. Um, but these are real things. And and I just think the church needs to have conversation on that. I'm going to have to agree with you one hundred percent. And I just appreciate you for being a catalyst for starting that conversation, because I think that more Christian folks um, need to remove some of that that old school thinking of like blaming everything on the devil and just kind of internalizing it. And, and, you know, I know when I was going through, I felt like it those feelings were a result of a lack of faith right. or a lack of trust in God. Right. And and those that way of thinking doesn't allow you to face the trauma. It doesn't right. allow you to deal with right. the root of the problem. So right. I, I I appreciate conversations like this. Um, although most folks never talk about it, Watson, I believe that, you know, we're all one, maybe two degrees of separation from a real mental health complication. So have you or someone you know had an issue with mental health, um, obviously that you're willing to talk about, and how did that ultimately get resolved? You know, when I did some thinking on this, my, I found out I've had points in my life where I've dealt with depression. And, but I also know that in my family, my mother's mother was, had, had a mental issue. I don't know what it was, but I know that it, it landed her in a psych, in a psych ward. And, um, and she later, and she died there. Hmm. Um, and you know, never knew her. She died before I was born, but that's, that's, you know, her, her, her blood is coursing through my veins too. And I think the first time I might've recognized depression in my own life, I might've been 12. Hmm. And, and I think that wow. it, it was just a feeling of stuckness this is the best way I can describe it. Feeling stuck and then feeling like death was better and and not been able to explain that and understand that and i'm fortunate that there was a counselor at my school who you know really tried to help me walk through it i came out of it moved on i think i the the, the other time i think i might have felt it again would have been the 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 exit before i left philadelphia you know that i didn't realize it that uh you know so i'm a runner Right. I run and I haven't run like I used to. And I realized one of the reasons why I don't run like I used to is because so much of that depressive energy just hasn't been in my life. Um, I'm not saying I ain't felt discouragement in the last few years. Of course, I'm in ministry and I have life, but the depressive energy in terms of like, I'm stuck, I'm hopeless. This is hopeless. I don't know how to change, you know, that kind of stuff. I haven't felt that in years. That that period, I think. I think I had lived in such a state of depression in Philadelphia that I got, I didn't even know it until it was gone. And, and I think what helped me manage it at first was eating. And, you know, I gained like 30 something pounds and then I started running and Brandon, I would run after church, man, after preaching, tearing up, setting down, I would run like seven, eight, nine miles. <laughs> Bro, (laughs) and I can't even clearly running from something, (laughs) right? And I can't even now, in for the life of me, and it ain't like I'm ten years older. This is only a few years ago. I can't for the life of me make myself run three miles now, and (laughs) 
you know, there is a, there was, I need, wow. and I, I was just in, I mean, and I think it was, it wasn't until coming out of it and Kelly and I talked about this, like I was just very depressed yeah. and it had nothing to do with the people I was around. I loved the people I pastored, but I was just deeply, I mean, cause church planning is a hard thing hard. and it tears yes. extra soul. And I try to tell anybody to, to really scare them out of it. Not that to make them disobey God, but to make them understand the cost, it is hard work. And it's a lot of struggle and it's Absolutely. a lot of fear on all ends. And, 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 but it was just, it was a very depressed situation. And I think I came out of it by acknowledging this is not help. This is not good for my health here. And it may be time, it may be time to move. And, uh, man, that, <laughs> that changed it. And I'm pastoring yeah. the people, black folks. And, and that, you know, that has its issues too. People, people definitely, you know, test you and try you, but I have not felt that. Yeah. What I felt then. Man, that energy, that, and, and you know what, here, here's the weird thing because we all experience it so different. At least you channeled it in a physical way, right? May not have been the healthiest. I mean, you know, running <laughs> seven, eight miles, just, you know, whatever, but at least you, you, you channeled it in a physical way. Like a lot of us, like I, I know I, I'm, I'm a internalizer, so I would just stuff it in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then you try to look for vices to get it out. And those are so temporal yeah. that it, it just, it doesn't sustain. And you are absolutely right, man. One of, one of the, the things that challenged my face, my faith most was that period of planting a church and like being at the ground floor of building a ministry because you honestly see everything <laughs> you you get it all and coming from salem from the ministry mm -hmm. you know you, you this is the buttoned up picture and right. this is the picture you go like this is what ministry is and then you go and have to build it from the scratch and from scratch and you just go oh <laughs> Is this what I signed up for? Is this what I signed up for? Oh like, man, it's what? rough. What? It's it's hard, man. God God bless you. I'm I'm so glad he brought you through it. Um Yeah. Okay, so th this is a really good transition, I think. Mindfulness for me, mindfulness and therapy taught me to be an observer of my feelings and not a slave to them. So right? So you mm. talked about, you know, mm. feeling all this negativity, feeling all this negative energy, and I think a lot of Christian people experience that, right? The question is, uh what is your experience with identifying this negative feeling and emotion and ultimately you know, not being a slave to it, right? But learning mm -hmm. learning to observe it and kind mm -hmm. of move through it and work through it. Like as a pastor, you you really have to coach other people mm -hmm. through doing that, right? Mm -hmm. When it's a challenge yourself, how do you do that? Like what's what what's your processing there? I think, you know, what the two things that was blessing for me that got me on that journey. Uh and I, I wish I could say I was a pro. I'm not. And um but I think that got me on that journey. I think I'm a little further ahead than most black men, though. I will say that was Pete Scazzaro's emotionally healthy spirituality. And this this thing I had to do when I was doing uh, when I was planting a church, learning how to it was a we called it the Duck Lodge, where a group of us went down into nowhere, Arkansas. And 
went to a duck lodge where Dick Cheney shot them people that shot the dude in the face <laughs> when he went duck hunting. That place. Thank you for that and perspective. <laughs> I always got to say it because that's where it was. And um, and being there and sitting around the room with these people and 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 for, for the first time ever in my life being forced to grapple with emotion and being asked questions like, why do you feel this? And, you know, all of that. And so it put me on a journey that made me start to say, I have emotions. And Kelly, you know, now Kelly would tell you, she's like, you know, Watson didn't acknowledge emotions. I only knew happy, mad, not really sad, uh, and angry. (laughs) Um, All the extremes. All the extremes. That was about it. And, (laughs) And so, and good. You know, and so she would, so that's, that that was it. And, but it was in a conversation where we started talking about uh, identifying your feelings and that they're like some 30 something emotions that you can feel at any given moment. And women tend to be better at identifying this than we are, but, um, but learning to identify it. It was also in therapy where a therapist said to me, you know, I think I've, I've had anger problems my entire life. I've always been one to be calm but if you push me that that fire that fire burns buddy it burns and the words come sharp amen to to admit that that's where i need the lord's grace at in my life but i remember she therapist asked me something and i said to her i was like she well i I responded with a you know kind of jive just like you know i shot back at her you know and like and i intentionally tried to cut and she says you know I noticed something. You 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 tend to respond with anger a lot. I was like, that's because you're asking dumb questions. You're a white woman and you're telling me this. I am a black man in America. I ain't got time to be feeling no emotions like that. I said that. And she she took that. She took that and swallowed it, man. And and you know, it came back. But what it said to me was that I need to probe things. I need to ask deeper questions. Because anger is it tends to be a secondary emotion. It it appears after something, something has has provoked it and it made it stand up, and and anger comes. And oftentimes, people who deal with depression deal with their depression with anger. People who deal with anxiety deal with their anxiety with anger. Uh, and so, I think for me, it has been asking myself, what do I really feel? And I and I think the first time I ever did that might have been coming might have been around that 2017 period where I said, "What do I feel?" Hmm. And I said, "No peace." Ooh-wee. And you know, and you know, and not that my feelings rule the day because feelings are fleeting; they're temporary. Um, they might last long sometimes, but they're temporary. They're fleeting. They can change, but but thinking about what do I feel and why do I feel it and what has me feeling that and to be honest with it. And for me, once I identify it, I'm not a journaler, like some people that journal it. It has been helpful for me to be honest with God about what I feel. And not just, I'm not just saying that as a preacher. I say this to my church too, that this is one of the utility and blessings of prayer that you know, oh, a peace we often forfeit all because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. And that's not, that's yes. not just like you're just anxious. So you don't, you ain't taking what you want him to do to prayer. It is telling God exactly what you feel about what you feel it about. God is not going to strike you to hell because you don't like your station in life. 
He is not going to take you out the family because you are not happy in with yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, he it ain't like he doesn't know it. it ain't like he doesn't see it. You have so many examples in scripture where people were just honest with God. So for me, because I, you know, I, I write for other things, write a lot of sermons and all that stuff. And I write for school. I'm just not good at writing journals. And, um, but for me, it has been helpful to, and not necessarily, and just very informally, to be honest, not even like in a scripted way, but to actually tell God, like, I feel anxious about yes. this whatever that this is, God, I feel really anxious about it. And somewhere um, along there, I do start to sense peace. Yeah. Man, I hope, mean I I hope you're blessing the people, man. Because because so, so, so many of us are afraid to give that anger to God, right? Especially oh, when it is spiritually related, right? When we feel disappointed by God or by church or by, you know, spiritual things, like as if God don't know it, we we we, we redirect that anger someplace else. Correct. So I, I think it's so freeing to really, to really lay it before the altar and, and yeah. really give it to him in a really and authentic way. You have so many examples of scripture that demonstrate this. And I mean, and I often push back against the church mother who tells us, you know, don't complain because God don't like complaining. And okay, you're quoting do everything without complaining. And that's not what that scripture is actually saying. Mm. But you have so much. The book of Psalms, which people only really know, Psalm 23. That's mm -hmm. what most Negro, I mean, people know. <clears throat> Psalm 23. But there are Psalms in there. Jesus' words, why have you forsaken me? That's a Psalm where David actually says, God, you have forsaken me. Why? Uh, uh, that's a, that's a complaint. And, and while it may not be theologically correct, it's a complaint. Yeah. Um, Job spends a lot of time just like, you know, and, and, and the people in Job are put, are nailing God. Like, you know, you <laughs> understand answer yes, for yourself. Are. It, he has to answer for himself. Like I don't need to answer none of y'all. I am God. Yeah. You know, you just have so much scripture that seems to that just seems to suggest that supports this notion of being honest with God and stop trying to pray these like fancy prayers like yeah, that you heard somebody else stuff. say. Just button up <laughs> stuff. Like, yes. like tell God what you feel. And yes. when you're dis you you're disappointed with him, Isaiah. I mean, I love Second Kings 19 because Elijah is like, he hears that. Jezebel wants to kill him. This is Brandon. This is after this man had done like the greatest miracles. And so you would think like he's flying high mm -hmm. after that. He just murdered all her prophets. And then after that, she says, I'm going to kill this dude. And, and y'all better get him or else y'all did. And, and, and then he hears this and he goes and he's like, God, take me now. I hate the fact that I'm alive. Kill me because I've done this for you. And, and and God, at no point in the text, you see him slap him off that mountain. Right. In fact, he shows up in a gentle voice. Wow. He could not have handled God showing up with terror. And God, sh God shook the Well, no, the mountain shook, but God wasn't in the shaking. The wind blew, but God wasn't in the wind. The fire came up, but God wasn't in the fire. God was in the still, small voice. It wouldn't have been right. Well, it's not right for me to say what God is right. I mean, it, it would have, it would not, it wouldn't have been helpful 
for God to show up and shake a mountain. Elijah knew who God was, that God had power. That was not what God needed, what Elijah needed to know. And so he needed to know that his work wasn't in vain, that everybody hadn't turned to Baal. And anyway, so, so you just see so much in the scriptures that, that argue for this authenticity with God and not this fake, yeah. you know, yeah. fake, Absolutely. fake stuff, you know, God, Absolutely. it's not like, you know, it's again, it's not like he doesn't know it. He knows right. it. And he's, yeah. you, you up here talking about how good thou art, but in your heart, you're like, I don't feel like you're good at all. Yeah. Right. You ain't, you're not being good to me right now. You right. know what I mean? And you're saying that and he's yeah. looking, you know, you're like thinking he's been impressed by your flowery words and he's looking straight through your words mm. at your intentions that are like, God, you don't feel like you're good right now. See, we, we say God knows my heart, but we, <laughs> but we don't want to get to the core of what that really means. Like, what about yes. when you angry with him and, yes. and you, and you trying to pray these prayers that ain't got nothing to do with that anger because yes. you're not giving that to him. Yes. Yes. Yes, brother. Yes. Yeah. Listen, man, you 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 definitely have us warmed up. I want to get to 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 some real controversial stuff, especially because I finally got a pastor uh, on, on the other end of this conversation. So when I first conceptualized this uh, podcast, it was specifically about mental health. But mm -hmm. I started to kind of share the concept and the idea with a few people, and it started to shift a little bit. Um, it expanded to more of the, the tension between faith and feelings, right? And, and just based on the conversation we've already had, we can identify areas where just acknowledging the way we feel sometimes can be at odds with our faith. And right. so this this is the, the 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 controversy I would like to shine a light on in the last segment of this interview. So are you still willing to help the people understand uh, uh, and deal with the future of faith and feelings? Sure. Yes. So prior to COVID-19, um, I felt like the church was not doing a great job addressing issues of mental health. And and I recognize that, like you, this is changing, right? There are other pastors out there that are talking about this, and that is great. Um <laughs> But there's a lot of trauma that went unaddressed in all of the years that we didn't talk about it. So what do you think should be the relationship between faith and our feelings? That's a really good question. I think that our feelings are God made us in, our, in his image and God has feelings. Um, we know that because scripture says don't grieve the Holy Spirit in order for the Holy Spirit to be grieved. He had to have feelings. Right. Many times in scripture, you see God saying, I, I repent. I hate that I made, I repent at the fact that I made these people. Uh, that's deep anger. Um, you see God so love the world, love, you know, you see, I am merciful and compassionate. That's, those are actions, but those are actions rooted with deep, deep feelings. So God has, and he made us to have feelings. It is only really a very euro western euro understanding uh stemming directly from the enlightenment european thought that said that emotions and feelings are evil and the only thing that's real is what can be rationalized or proven mm. and the problem with that is well the joy of it is the rest of the world doesn't think that way because the rest of the world is not western it's eastern 
and the rest of the world does not think that way. Um, it's one of the joys I love about being African American because we are a feeling, we are feeling people. We feel a lot. We feel deeply, and oftentimes too much so. Mm -hmm. um, and, but we feel it deeply, and we don't reject it. So, but I do think that our feelings, um, every part of us is. T there's not a part of us that's not touched by fallen condition to describe to explain what i mean by that genesis 3 talks about the our progenitors our first parents disobey god and because of that you know uh, paul would say sin entered the world and because sin death um and death is not just you know we all going to go to a tomb but death is a condition it is it is a state of decay it is a state where in our world there is always happiness on the other side of pain there is always joy and that joy won't last long on this side because there will always be sorrow. Every last one of us, we've all known this. You, Brandon, you lost your father at a young age. You know, every last one of us before we get to 50 will know what loss feels like on a very deep level. Yeah. We'll have great joys, Lord willing, watching kids grow, but we'll watch our parents leave. And, and so it, you know, so this world is not all that it could be. Our feelings are not exempt from that. And our feelings, God, I believe God gave us feelings, some feelings at least, to protect us, to warn us, to comfort us, to, to, to help us enjoy the experience of life. The thing that we have to be careful with is allowing feelings to ring stronger than truth. Because truth is is unchanging. Truth, feeling sometimes can feel like truth is obscured, but feelings have to be considered, thought through, probed, and held up against the standard of truth. Yeah. For example, here's what I mean by that. I believe that in Christ Jesus, I am a son of God. I am as loved as I will ever be. And that love that God has for me is, is, is something that I cannot sum up in words. I can't phrase it. I can't, I can't describe it. It is indescribable. It is deep. It is wide. It is long. It is vast. And it is everlasting. It does not fade with how good I am. Or how bad I am. It doesn't grow because I perform well. It is there. However, my feelings can make me feel like I am unloved, unwanted, uncared for, and worthless. Yes, and the feeling is legitimate because I don't believe in delegitimizing feelings by saying, like, you know, what you feel is stupid. They're legitimate feelings. You feel them. In that moment, that is your reality. But you have to be able to hold them up against truth. Because truth is, it's like, it's, I liken it to being offshore on a boat and the waves are crashing up against that boat. Think of the waves as your emotions. They're slapping and they're tearing at this boat and this boat can fall apart. The only thing that keeps that boat from slapping into a rock and destroying itself, if the ship, if the, if the person is wise, especially if it's close to land, is having it anchored. Because the anchors mean doesn't matter how much the waves come, how high the ship lifts. If it's away from other boats and away from rocks, 
it nine times out of 10 will be all right because it's anchored onto something stronger. It's not driven by the wind and the waves. And so our feelings, while we have to be, they're real. Just like that sailor has to be considerate of those waves. They're real and they can destroy you. That boat, to hold that boat, to keep it from drifting off to sea. So it is with our emotions. Our emotions are real. We feel them. We suffer loss. The grief is real. We should not just be in church at funerals with sunglasses on, acting like don't nobody know we cried. We feel what we feel and it's real. We need to acknowledge that. But we cannot let those feelings be truth. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's how I would say the, re the relationship is. I wouldn't say they're complimentary. I would say that um, faith has to form your feelings. It has to. Um, and I think feeling feelings can strengthen faith too. They may not, it may not seem like it, especially if you're feeling, you know, tr if you're feeling pain, it doesn't feel like that strength is your faith. But as I started the conversation saying faith is not faith, if it cannot be tested feelings, you know, it is, it is, it is me going through the moments of darkness and depression that I have come to know the Lord better. Yeah. And Let yeah. Let me ask you this as a as a pastor who, you know, works with people, who listens to people, who counsels people going through, is it is it sometimes more difficult like when when addressing trauma and issues of mental health, is it more difficult to to deal with folks who believe that everything is answered in prayer? Right? Because I, I look, we both believe that there is power in yeah. prayer, but you got a therapist. I got a therapist, right? So, so clearly sometimes it takes a little bit more. So like, you know, as somebody who is counseling people of faith, you know, what do you deal, what, what do you say to the person who believes that they can just answer, that they can address everything through their prayer life? Can they feed themselves by prayer? Oh boy. <laughs> if they're hungry, is prayer going to make them hunger pains go away Ooh, or they going to get their butt up and eat a sandwich? <laughs> and that sandwich ain't come from heaven. That bread came from the bread aisle and that meat came from the deli aisle. Preacher. And, you know, and, and, you know, when you close, when you're naked and you ain't got no clothes on, right? That, that, that's, a, that was a James Meeks answer, by the way. That's how he, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> you, you mean, I done been around him too much. Um, there, so there is a part of it where, we go to doctors, you know, especially a lot of you know, I pass older people too, man, and they, they get sick. Some of them dealing with diabetes. They take a medicine for that and they're trusting in a doctor, which I don't knock that, you know, it's smart, it's wise. Why would you not go and talk to someone who understands what you're feeling and even thinking? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't mean every, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. That's what the scripture tells me. Um, Jesus used mud with his spit to clean, to give somebody sight before, but he also gave somebody sight by touching them, you know? Uh, so there, there are, there are many different ways to, to healing. And Paul told Timothy, this is what Paul told Timothy. Baptists don't like this part, but Paul told Timothy, he says, Hey man, have yourself some wine for your stomach. Cause we know <laughs> your stomach is upset, but have yourself some wine to calm your stomach. And you know, this is what he tells this man, calm right? Down. And, 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 you know, which is, which is interesting. He doesn't tell him 
your stomach is upset, go pray. It's upset because you ain't praying. He tells him, and in those days, we understand, wine was often considered a medicine in some ways. Preach. He tells them, go and use something that's going to help you. Yes. In the same way, it does not mean you, you don't lack faith by talking to somebody. Because, I mean, you're going to talk to your friends. Right. You talk to these knuckleheads who don't know anything. Right. They just as messed up as you are. Yes. They're, they're, they're the blind leading the blind, but you're going to get their advice. Yep. So I think that it's, I think the more, what I have found in my time counseling people is when I have suggested counseling to people, counseling beyond me. Cause I said, I mean, I'm quick to say I'm your pastor and there's only so much I can do. Um, I but, wish more people would take on that spirit, but I, oh, I'll man. put a pin in that and move on. Cause that's why I want to get a, at my church. If Lord Grit gives me grace, I would love to one day have a counselor, licensed counselor, not just a biblical counselor. And I'm not knocking that, but a licensed counselor who can be a part of our church who would counsel people at low cost. Okay. Um, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Because, because you literally are starting to answer a question. So let me, let me pose it to you so you can get at it directly. Go the ahead. question I ask a lot of people at this point is the modern church, church has a ministry for everything, especially, you know, mega churches, but let's even bring it down to, you know, medium sized churches. Right. Should there be a mental health ministry? Should there be a, you know, something specific? I don't, I, I don't know what it would look like. Right. But should there be something specific that addresses that? So you were, you were kind of talking about a counselor, but like, what would that look like in a church setting? Man, that's real. This COVID thing, when this is over, it's going to be a lot of people that's going to need some counsel. It's going to be a lot Hello, of people who ain't somebody. going to get it. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot of people that's going to need it because this has done a number on people. And, you know, depression has gone up. Suicidal thoughts have gone up. Anxiety has gone up. Uh, people don't gain weight, not from just sitting. They're eating themselves into a frenzy. Right. <clears throat> um, and I think the church is going to need, if it doesn't have a counseling ministry, at the very least, it's going to have to have some relationship with some counselors because people have gone through and I think it needed it before this, uh, but it definitely needs it now. So so I think, you know, in the case of a megachurch, megachurch can hire someone to do that. Most mm -hmm. churches in America, average church in America, is 75 people. That's the average church size in America, you know, and so. They can't afford to have a counselor, but I would say there are counselors in cities that would Christian ones too, who are licensed counselors, but a Christian who would be willing to partner with the church where a church can say, I will send people your way if you give them a discount. Uh, that way, because I do, I do, I do not think people should go to counseling for free. Um, I think people need to pay it because it's, it, it is an investment. It, now, you know, if they can't afford it, there are things for that. But I think people need to be, you know, you need to own this. Um, and the counselor, need, you know, they listen to your mess. They need to be compensated. Um, but I think that I think the churches need counselor ministry. My church, for example, prior to me getting there, my previous pastor had the wherewithal to have a grief counseling ministry. And it wasn't with licensed counselors, but it was a it was a ministry specifically dealing with walking people through grief. Uh, because as the church was getting older, people were dying, so yeah. people losing spouses and kids and all of that. And, and they would just come to church and shout, but they're inside, they're hurting. And as a pastor, you can only do, everybody want to touch me and you can't, 
you can't realistically be there for everybody. You can't. Right. It's not possible. Um, because mo a lot of pastors, truthfully, are not the best counselors. Amen. Um, it's and, a different calling. It's a different calling. We're just not the best counselors. We're visionaries. We can do it, but it's hard for a lot of pastors to carry people's birth. And I, I, I enjoy it, but I can't, I couldn't counsel people every day. I have yeah. to have certain times of a week that I do that. I can't, I couldn't do that every day. Uh, but I think that especially coming out of this pandemic, it is going to be smart for pastors to try to tug on counselors. Like, so my mom is a licensed counselor at my church. And there was another one at the close of my sermon series. Um, I don't know if you knew Lindoria, you knew Lindoria at Salem, um, but she's got her PhD in something relative to mental health. Um, I, I knew it when I interviewed her, but it's, it's, it's escaping me at the moment. But, you know, I said to my church, for example, I said, anyone, I interviewed them at the last sermon, last sermon, I did like a 15 minute sermon and I interviewed them. I said, anyone in my church who in the month of April visits one of these women, we will pay $25 toward your first visit, but you have to go in the month of April. We ain't gonna do March. We ain't gonna do May. We'll do April. Uh, and that was just to, I can't do all this preaching about deal with your mental health and I'm not gonna help you. Yeah. <laughs> and so oh, that was to help out. undercut whatever cost and to get people there. And they, they both said, we, we accept Medicare. We accept, <laughs> we accept credit cards, we used to checks, cash, all this stuff. So, yeah. you know, I just think that in this, when this come, when we come out of this, man, there's a lot of people that's going to need it. And I think pastors do not have the equipment, e equipping ability to be able to do it by themselves. And it behooves us to, if we cannot start the ministry and to staff that kind of ministry to at the very least have a database of places we can send people that are trustworthy places um, that ain't going to leak people's information, but that we can say, which I have a few at my church and I have at time past in my church wreck, you know, said, you need to call this person. cornerstone Christian counseling or you <laughs> need to call Chicago counseling center. You need to call these people. And, you know, some of these people have probably gotten some clients and they didn't even know I sent them. Amen to that. I right, listen, I, I listen, I, I've already said this, but I, I just applaud the work that you're doing in this space. And I, I think that more ministers need to do it. This is the last question in this segment and, and probably one of the most controversial. Um, and, and I know what side of this you are on, but 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 let's talk about the church broadly. Right. So specifically, when you think about the future of faith and feelings, right. is the church meeting the people where they are? Or are we at a point where people needs to accept, hey, this is this is what these are the resources they got. This is, you know, this is the way we've been doing it. This is what the church is, right? So where, especially in this time of an immense need, right? Is the is the church meeting the people where they are, or are we expecting the people to meet the church where it is at this time? It's a good question. I think it depends on which segment of the church. So um I am, a, you know, I'm studying black preaching. And I think one of the geniuses of black preaching is that it has always been able to speak to the existential concerns of black people. And, and, and that's addressing despair, addressing hopelessness. So in one sense, in preaching, preaching can't counsel, you know, I, I, I can't be a therapist in the pulpit. I can raise the question. 
But but at the end of it all, the purpose of my preaching is to help form your faith and dependence in Christ. It's not to over promise stuff. It is to help your dependence in Christ. And part of that. So I see the utility of preaching, especially in the black context, that that a, a good black preacher can speak to the depth of your feelings and and drive your emotions, not in a manipulative sense. I'm not talking about like the ones who are just trying to lead you to a shout. And I'm not saying everybody who does that is trying to lead you to shout, but I'm not talking about that, but who can address where you are and to help you find hope in Christ Jesus. That is absolutely needed because I think about people who deal with with uh, uh, addiction, for example, part of it, people who coming out of an addiction who are oftentimes covering trauma and covering deep mental issue. Right. Um, one of the things that Alcoholics Anonymous and people coming out of out of those things they do is they try to one of the first things you have to acknowledge a higher power of sorts and because what that higher power does it it shows you that you're accountable to that higher power but it also it also gives you hope because if you're living you know in our culture that that doesn't believe in truth truth is relative is whatever you make it to be uh there is no God, or maybe it is. He's a spirit who just at our whims. It just presents itself to be a hopeless place. And uh, in a place where you have a president, previous president, who just made up a bunch of mess and half the, half the country still believes him. Yeah. Or a place where for black folks are shot in the streets. The pandemic seems to be ebbing and flowing. One minute we feel like we win it. The next minute stuff is shutting back down. Or Johnson & Johnson got to pause their vaccine because this is happening. You know, it just could seem like the world is a darn tailwind going down. There has to be somebody, something that we can hope in that is true. So I think the church is, is helpful in pointing people to God. That's one. You ain't going to be able to really grapple with it. I think you need the Lord to help you with that. But two, I don't necessarily know if the church is helping in terms of helping people think deeper about mental health questions. I think more are, more are through the help of people like Pete Scazzaro. But there are a lot of people who don't like Pete Scazzaro. And, but there are a lot of people who need to listen to him because so many people in our churches like we look at so many mean members you know these members ain't always just mean because they're nasty people some of these people survived the civil rights movement and remember you know and hurt remember being called nick excuse me remember being called these names on their way to work and at work remember being sexually harassed with no recourse sexually assaulted with no support you know, and, and then we wonder why they're 80 and they can be tough with their mouth. They done seen some stuff yeah. that they have never, ever processed. Yeah. Oof. So yeah, I think man. I think if we don't consider that and trying to figure out ways to provide help for people, then we're not helping them fully. We're not helping them holistically. Reverend Jones, uh, the controversial nature of this conversation means it could go on forever. But my guess is the T.S. Strong community will probably stop listening to us, find other things to do because <laughs> they are busy folks. 
Uh, so unfortunately, I have to transition to close our interview. But as we wrap up, I want you to consider any parting words of wisdom that you may have and any resources that you would like to share. So these in our final three questions. Number one, what are your final words of guidance that current and future trauma survivors and trauma supporters need to hear? Be honest with God. Tell him what you feel. He knows it and he wants to hear you say it. And there is one of the things that helps us in counseling is the catharsis of, of actually talking about what we're going through. That's Amen. helpful. So talk to the Lord, honestly. Amen. Are there any books or resources that are relevant to this topic that you would like our listeners to check out? Yes. Uh, Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There's a book I'm trying to scan on this bookshelf and I don't see it. There is a, devo a devotional that I could let you know in the comments or, or, or in the post-production that I could get to you. Uh, yeah. it, it's a book that helps with uh, calming down or slowing down in a hurried world. Um, Celebration of Di Disciplines by uh, Richard Foster, um, I think is a very helpful book. Um, it doesn't deal with mental Ill health directly, but it does help you think through um, just disciplines, but there are parts of, especially when you get to meditation and contemplation and simplicity that can be very helpful. Fantastic. And to all of the listeners, we will give you a direct link to all of these resources in the show notes. You can go to brandontbailey.com, go to uh, Reverend Jones, Reverend Watson, Pastor Watson Jones, uh, <laughs> his episode, and find direct links to all of these books there. Uh, well, Preacher, are there any things that you are working on uh, at the time that you would like uh, myself and any of my listeners uh, to, to check out and ways that we can support you and your mission? Yeah, it's PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, brother. I I was just complaining to my principal today like I I'm I'm in, I've, I'm behind on lit review but like I'm yeah this doctorate stuff man it sucks <laughs> especially when you know you got a master's degree and you don't need it yeah <laughs> Don't send me down this dark alley. Yeah, I'm not I don't want to go. I don't want to go down. Let's step back out. Let's step back into the street, <laughs> under the street lights. Let's stand there. That's a better place. You're right. It's beautiful outside. We do need this. This, <laughs> man, bro. It. Again, I just want to celebrate the work you are doing over at Compassion. I, I am. I've seen you from afar. Uh, we grew up together. We we got a chance to share the pulpit together. But the work you are doing now, man, I applaud you. I thank you thank so you. much for your time. I I believe that the wisdom that you shared will definitely help a lot of people. Please, please, please keep. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank the, you, the world needs it, especially like you said, coming out of this pandemic. It whoo, is brutal. So please keep pushing, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. You 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 enjoy, man. I, I appreciate you. A five. A five. Trauma survivors, trauma supporters. To all of you, the T.S. Strong community, thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Controversy Podcast. 
I don't know if you are jumping in for the very first time or if you are a return listener. Either way, we are more than halfway through the season one now, and I am very, very excited to have you as a listener. So whether it's your first time or you are a returner, I'm going to ask you to please click that like button, click that share button, subscribe, rate, and review the show. We are actively working on season two, getting ready to share some new content, working on some new strategies and other ways to engage our community. So I look forward to reading some of your comments. I look forward to hearing some of your feedback and making the show an even more engaging place for all of you trauma survivors, trauma supporters, and people who know what it's like to struggle with, to deal with issues of mental health. Now, if you are not already a part, I'd like to invite you to the community on Facebook. It is called A Safe Place, where trauma survivors and trauma supporters are gathering to share resources, to share ideas, and to share testimonies about the things that we are all going through, that we have all been through, and supporting each other on how we can make it to our next level. So I look forward once again to seeing you around the community. Thank you guys once again for for checking out the show. And I hope to see you again next time. Peace.